Welcome back, friends. It's time once again for Maya, my yoga audio. I'm your host, Megan Morgan, and today we're back with another interview with a very special guest. And as I'll just be plain and honest about, my daughter, Sendell Morgan, also known to her friends as Ella. She is home for the Christmas holidays and agreed to come online with us and share some really exciting things about her life right now. And I've had people tell me this, both offline and in person, that one of the reasons they follow me on social media is because they're hoping to get a glimpse of her rad life. And some of those things that are really cool about her, A, she's a motorcycle rider, B, she's a writer as well, and just recently graduated from the University of Oregon. And, you know, she's gorgeous. She's my kid. I'm just going to, you know, not be unbiased about that. And I wanted to spend some time with her, but also share more with her because I think she's doing some exciting things as a new Gen Zer out in the world and wanted to get her perspective on things. So we won't delay the introduction. Welcome, Sandel, to the show and thank you for agreeing to be here today. Hi, mom. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> so I would love if you would start with telling everybody about where your passion for motorcycling, is that if that's the correct term, came from. Because I know it was a surprise to me and, you know, I'm still slightly horrified by it, but um, I know it's something you're really passionate about and you do things with motorcycle riding, both for yourself and with others in like in community and group settings. So, so tell us kind of your journey to how you came to love motorcycles so much. Sure. Where do I start? I guess maybe you can speak to this, but as a child growing up, I've always been, I guess, rebellious. I kind of do my own thing. I don't often you know, follow the rules. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> but I guess being independent is a really big part of my personality, part of my identity. So falling into motorcycles almost feels like it was meant to happen. But there wasn't really, it's always been a really interesting kind of idea to ride a motorcycle. Um, you know, of course, dad being protective as he is, it was always if I came home, you know, with somebody who rode a motorcycle, was it, that was done. It's over. So instead of coming home with somebody, you know, on a motorcycle, I decided to just get on the bike myself. When I started in Oregon, I, at school, I moved into a house with a bunch of other housemates and a girl I was living with, who is now one of my dearest friends, she actually had just recently gotten her Oregon motorcycle license and purchased a bike. And you know, had brought it home and it was sitting in the driveway and I was really intrigued by that. And as our friendship grew, my sort of passion and interest for motorcycles really kind of took off. And also being a woman who's riding, being inspired by somebody else who is a woman who rides, that was, it sort of just took off. So I started and the easiest thing you can do is get your license. And even if you don't decide to buy a bike or continue on with it, at least you have a license and usually those motorcycle licenses are applicable in most places. So you can go other places and like other states, other states. Yeah. Or even other countries and, you know, rent a moped or rent a smaller bike to just hang out. So if it's not your intent to be, you know, a full blown Harley rider, you know, thundering down highways in fringe leather jackets, you can still use a, 
your license just to have fun. So plus it's a great learning experience. It's a humbling experience. That's for sure. It's like a wild animal. <laughs> well, tell us about your training. Cause I remember that, I think it was three years ago this Christmas when you did your oh training yeah. here in Sacramento. And yep. that was like the first time that I'd been, I was like, Oh, she's really serious about it. You'd been talking about it and kind of ruminating about it, but you did actually go through your training yes. to get your license. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. Rigorous. <laughs> it's so traditionally a lot of uh, American motorcycle training courses, they usually varies from state to state, but there's a general sort of guideline that every state has to follow to get your M1, which is the class for motorcycles. But it's usually three days like 12 12 hour days where you're one is a in-class day and then two is on a track where you're on um, the smallest cc bike uh, learning how to ride the bike so essentially yeah three years ago i had had very limited experience in terms of riding and that was just having my friend sierra let me rev and go back and forth down our our block and on some back highways in oregon and then when i came home I was like you know what I'm gonna try it's not too expensive to get your license but you know you give it a try and if you don't like it it's not the end of the world it's not like you went out spent three or four grand on a bike and all your gear and then got your license and realized you didn't like it whereas if you spend a couple hundred dollars to get experience be certified mm -hmm. so in, okay. the, in the training you actually were able to ride bikes yes it seems yes. obvious but yes. I just want oh, to yes, clarify that yeah okay so, yeah you're prerequisite pretty much was to bring a pair of gloves. It didn't have to be motorcycle gloves, just gloves, long pants, boots, and a helmet. So the next, I guess, expensivest thing was a helmet that you paid up front. However, I was convinced and like ready to go. So I kind of already bought all my stuff, even if I didn't have a bike. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I had Sierra's bike to practice on when I was back in Oregon. But yeah, so I came back for the holiday, spent some time, and I think I did spend... <laughs> Like Christmas Day with you guys, and then the rest of my time that I was here, I was training on a motorcycle. So I think you can do it with several different companies. Uh, Harley Davidson does do one, so you can always check out your nearest Harley dealership, mm -hmm. and they do uh, the same training. So you just got to check. Who did you do it with? Was it with Harley Davidson? No, I. If I remember correctly, I think it was just a state. A state, a, a state sponsored one that's probably um, good making yep. sure it's all yeah yeah, yeah. harley is a, a state sponsored in i'm gonna say most states don't quote me on that guys but yeah. uh, i always just you know went to the dmv website checked out what were legally the ones that they recommended went with the cheapest option or the most available <laughs> and then just went that way so okay yeah. so here we are three years later and you've had two bikes at yep. this point so you bought your first one here just just outside of Sacramento uh, from a professor in, in Davis I think that was my second one that was your the, second the, one. or the one that I currently have my, yeah my Angelica yeah um <laughs> but you've gone through like the first bike you had I came to see you in Oregon and I remember you having and I was like oh it's not so big it's not so bad and you totally had a handle on it and then your yeah that second bike I went with you um to look at we bought from that nice man and that's the one you've been riding the most. What's your longest ride to date so oh, far? Um, oh, now I'm thinking about my first little blue bike. <laughs> she was, she's so sweet. It was perfect. Greatest color. It was the first intro bike. My longest ride to date was it back in May. 
May or June. It was really, it was warm uh, during the COVID lockdown pandemic. So it was the perfect time to do it. I'm a freelance writer for a magazine up in Oregon and a buddy of mine who's also the chief photographer for that same magazine and advertising company wanted to do this eight hour ride <laughs> uh, from where we are in Eugene that would be down in Umpqua Valley, which is the Douglas County area. Uh, it's beautiful. So many mountains um, and rivers, Crater Lake and Diamond Lake, which are notorious lakes in Oregon that people really like to go. Great for camping, hiking, all that good stuff. Yeah, him and I went. It was a really long day. I think I left at, you know, 6 a.m. We had to ride an hour south of where we live to Roseburg, which is like the heart of Douglas County, and do the complete eight-hour ride down this loop near the lakes, uh, some big mountains, very gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, The person I was riding with, the photographer, he's a very well... (laughs) He, he rides, so it was, it felt a little bit out of my area of expertise, but I mean, you're not going to learn until you give it a try. I think prior to that, the longest ride I had ever done was probably four hours at mm-hmm. most. And that's, you know, round trip, not just one way. So this trip definitely took me out of my comfort zone. So physically was, and mentally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Something you'll, you'll learn as a rider, but as invigorating and as freeing as the feeling is, you find out that your body hurts in ways that you've never felt pain before. I mean, you know, weird spots in your tailbone and in your back, in your wrists, in your elbows. You know, you're in a very, you're not quite in a lounge position, but you're like lounging, but kind of straddling. And, you know, so, so you've got to different. adapt your posture yeah. so that you're, oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to be in pain. It sounds like either way, if it's yeah. a long ride. <laughs> so that particular trip was also the focus of a story, yes. right? So the person you were writing with is the photographer you were writing the story yes and it was for umqua valley magazine Magazine. right or uv life uv life so you can find that story or listeners can find that story at is it uvlife.com yeah Yeah. Yeah. and you go by ella morgan on your on writing the writing well we can provide links in the show notes i'll just do that so that people can find it check it out you can check out their instagram at the uv life yeah, <laughs> they are on Instagram. Yeah. So as as a mom, I want to ask this question. Or as an interviewer, I want to ask this question. As a mom, I'm not sure I want to know the answer. But what was your, I guess, most frightening moment? Like what was, has there been a moment where you felt scared on the bike? Um, is it every time? Because that's part of it, the thrill of the ride and a little bit of danger. Or have there been actually any moments where you felt like your life was in danger, where you were almost in an accident or another driver swiped you or like you know you hear about these things and for listeners who don't know it's not just being a mom that makes me afraid of my daughter riding a bike Uh, many of you know and if you've read my book the end of me my mother was killed on a uh, not on a motorcycle but on a moped in Bermuda in 1974 and so I you know had this irrational fear of you know that was definitely a -a one-of-a-kind kind of accident that happened but it's kind of instilled in me a, a fear of, you know, bicycle, not so much bicycles, but um, motored, motored vehicles like that. Um, anyway, back to the question for you. I think, funny enough, more of the times when I've ever felt like in fear of my life was not, you know, on long rides. I've done, at this point, I've done a few long rides in Oregon. You know, there's you do back road stuff where there's a lot of hairpin turns, very tight 
mm-hmm. very tight corners where you can drop the bike. It's That's usually not stuff that really bothers me. I get a little anxiety about it because dropping my bike is just, it's more embarrassing and my ego gets hurt more mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah, you got to be careful when it comes to other drivers. They like, they never see you. Mm-hmm. That's that's always a thing. So you have to be very cautious. Keep your distance, you know, which is fine. I think the one time ever where I was like, oh, shit, this is it. It's a little dramatic. But in the moment, I was like, okay, this is not going to go well if I'm not careful here. I, I don't know what road it is. I think I had just done just whatever, a two-hour ride. Uh, in Oregon, and I went out towards the coast, towards Florence, and, you know, just did whatever, did a little loop, and was coming back, mm-hmm. and there's a tunnel, a covered bridge kind of situation. It's a it's a tunnel in a mountain, it's what it is. Right. So, at that point, I'm not going super fast, and, yeah, I wasn't going super fast, so I had a whole bunch of people kind of behind me, but, I mean, the speed limit is the speed limit. I wasn't too worried about it. On the opposite or the other side of the road is a um a two lane where you can pass someone if they're going too slow right but somebody in their massive truck (laughs) i mean you know big dodge dodge ram with the you know mirrors that look kind of like a moose Mm -hmm. is coming down and i can see them coming but it hadn't registered to me that they were using my lane so oncoming traffic as a passing lane because oh, they were passing another car coming towards you. Yes. So they were in your, yes. the lane you're yes. riding. So in. somebody or people in the passing lane for oncoming traffic obviously wasn't fast enough for him. Right. So he decided to use his oncoming lane to pass, to pass which was my lane. And I could hear, <laughs> now I have a Bluetooth helmet, so I had like music playing. However, all I could hear behind me were cars honking and screech, like pushing hard on their brakes. And I could see him coming and I was like, there's probably a couple of centimeters sorry it's a inches there's a few inches between me and the rail on the side of the road and then you know the woods so it's not like I was gonna tumble off a cliff or anything if I had you know gone over per se but you know I was on a bigger bike also so I was really worried about that I'm not that low to the ground the tip of his side mirror grazed the top of my helmet so on my current helmet there's this massive scratch just straight back it was that close you know didn't didn't drop the bike didn't even swivel I literally just you know ducked my head to the right in the hopes that I just wouldn't get you know clocked in the face by a side mirror and that was it like seriously caused a whole situation cars were like pulling over to the side and cars on the oncoming uh two lanes were like trying to move over so that this truck couldn't move out of the way but yeah, that was the only time where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to, So know. you didn't have enough time to stop? Oh, no, no. I was going like 65, 70. There was no way I was able to stop before. And you were in a, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was in a single lane with just a barricade before the end of the road. And then to my left was two lanes of passing oncoming and traffic. Yeah, of oncoming yeah. traffic. Okay. Let's change topics now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like. There are reasons you don't tell your mom. Yeah, there's a lot of things I probably, and you know what? It's not because I'm doing it, you know, well, what it is to make sure that you don't worry because that's, that's one time in the three years that I've had two bikes and there's times where I've dropped my bike or ran out of gas and Mm -hmm. where, and I feel like maybe in those times I probably would have been in slightly more danger because I'm by myself. Yeah. Whereas weird enough to say, 
if I get hit, there are people to say, this is what happened. Someone mm-hmm. there to call, you know, the police. If I run out of gas, like I'm kind of out of luck there. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scariest in three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully that will be that it. That'll be it. For yeah. that. I mean, I'm yeah. okay with that. <laughs> what I'm hearing from you is that you have to be prepared as a writer. So do your training. You have to be conscious of what you're doing with the bike while also being like hyper conscious of all the other traffic around you because they're in a steel cage and you are not. So if an accident happens, you're the one who's most likely going to be hurt. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're aware of all of that and mm-hmm. taking the, mm-hmm. the precautions where you can. There's going to be instances where people are not being responsible and passing yep. in a tunnel like that. So yeah, I wanted to kind of switch gears um, because you're a recent grad. So in <laughs> June of 2020, you graduated mm-hmm. with a Bachelor of Science and Journalism um, mm-hmm. from the University of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited for you. And, you know, of course, we had all planned to come on up there and do the graduation celebration. And then we were in the middle of COVID. So all graduation things were canceled. And a lot of things changed at that time. I hope you won't mind me bringing this up. But I I wanted to share your story of what happened between that time and now. Um, just for other new grads. It's not like your life is perfect now. But right after that happened, so your graduation gets canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a, an unethical landlord who decided to raise everybody's rent in a house full of students and and recently unemployed. You lost your job because the business you were working for shut down. Mm-hmm. So you had no income coming in. You had to move out of your place. There was a time period there where I know you considered coming home. And of course, that would have been fine. Everything kind of fell apart. Now, looking at nine months later, your life has dramatically changed. And I'm so excited about that because uh, I was so worried. I knew as your parents that you would always have a place to come home to. It's not like you were going to be homeless or anything like that. But the shocking reality is there are so many, not just those who are new graduates, but people who are still in school, they're coming into this world like, okay, so it's a pandemic and I don't have reliable income and like, what, what do I do? So if you could share a little bit about your journey from June until now um, and the big turning points for you, how you went from being totally unemployed and not sure where you're going to live to now totally living independently, working multiple jobs. And I know it wasn't easy. So feel free to take your time and just let us know the different steps and ups and downs that happened. Oh, boy. As much as you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to oh, be yeah. every single... No, I, I almost feel like it happened or things started to feel like it was going south like well before June, in in all honesty. So my last term, we were on a quarter system at the school that I went to. So the quarter that I finished ended in March, which is fine. You know, I was very excited. It was great. It was, finished my last term. Now I get to start looking at other avenues. And I had this idea to stay with the job that I had because where I was living and the job that I had, everything sort of worked out that I could save and still look for options and exercise like freelance opportunities or travel or whatever the case may be. In this event, we went into a lockdown, which was fine. And it was okay, you know, I wasn't too concerned yet until, you know, we had all been, you know, shoved into a small space together. At the time I was living with my best friend, her dog, my boyfriend, and two other housemates, which, you know, was my tight household. So, 
you know, we tried to do our best considering there's a lot of us under one roof. And I think at some point between March and June, one of those housemates decided to move out. It happened. Not a big deal. <laughs> you know, it's a house, it, it's a house students. with most, yeah. 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 One of my housemates decided to move out and, you know, that was fine. At that point, we were kind of in the height of the pandemic in Oregon. Um, for most of people who listening, who are listening, uh, Oregon's been pretty much on the low end of the spectrum in terms of cases. Um, everyone's just been really good about, up until now, really has been really good about staying in, wearing a mask, you know, just keeping their distance, the whole, the whole 10 yards. A person moves out and we were all trying to figure out what we were going to do financially speaking, because also at that time we were, I lost my job and my partner was still in school. I think he, yeah, he was still in school. And, you know, my best friend was also trying to figure out, you know, what she was going to do financially, because now that also cuts off a lot of her options for finances. We had talked to our landlord about it and, you know, we can work it out. He says, we can do all this. He goes, if something happens and, you know, you guys can't make your rent, you know, we'll figure it out. Great. It's, you know, I think we were all thinking it was going to be like a month, maybe two months, we can make it and everything's going to be fine. And by time June rolled around, we were looking for another housemate, you know, <laughs> we, I spent like every day on Craigslist, every day on Facebook, like looking for people who may needed a, a place to stay. But during a pandemic and during a financial crisis like this, no one is looking to move. You know, a lot of laws were put in place where landlords could not evict their tenants. My landlord kind of just said fuck it to that mm -hmm. and decided to give us an eviction notice. And it was really hard for us to try and figure out if we wanted to press action. But at the time it was, you know, I was out of money pretty much. I didn't know when I was going to get another paycheck. I wasn't sure if unemployment was something that's still happening. You know, the stimulus bills are not something that I'm applicable for, mm -hmm. which was not helpful. Well, you didn't know for some time about unemployment. Like it was months before yeah. you yeah, were that's able true. to confirm that and you were unemployed and that was entire unemployed. time yeah. and you didn't get a stimulus check. Nope. And so. yeah, there are laws in place. The thing that was frustrating for me about that, yes, as your parents, we can help you, right? You would always have a place to go. But the problem is there may be legal things in place. And that's what a lot yep. of people told me. There's laws against that. You have to have the money to do that too. Right. And to be able to hire right. a lawyer and go to court. Yep. And so we all wanted to not yep. have to deal with that. So we were like, fine, if he wants you to go, then you go. But where are you going to go from there? Yeah. And so what so. happened after that? Yeah, at that point, you know, the house decided to disband. We all put in like our confirmation notices and it was really sad, but it's fine. Uh, it's over and done with. And at that point, my best friend decided to move into her van with her dog and mm -hmm. travel as much as she could for in the, within the United States for as much as she could. And my partner and I were trying to decide if we wanted to move in together or if we wanted to potentially like move back home until we could figure out a more stable scenario and we looked at a few places nothing was really like speaking to us slash budget <laughs> because yeah. there wasn't a ton available no and what was available everybody was gunning for because right. yeah because it there was, was so little exactly yeah. and I think probably within the same week we found a spot in town unemployment called me because I missed something or something happened and all of a sudden like three or four months of unemployment was cleared. 
Um, and it was just like, it was an emotional week because it was a lot of, it went from being months of not knowing to very decisive in the matter of 24 yeah. hours, 48 hours. And yeah, so it was, it was hard, but it, it ended up being okay. And I think in the same time, oh my gosh. Oh, I could totally forgot about this part too. We got the place that we're in now, which is fantastic and mm-hmm. we love it. Got unemployment. I got offered my current job and another freelance opportunity came up, which was essentially the same amount as a stimulus package. And it was just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> a huge, like I'm like all anxious right now thinking about it because it was really stressful. So everything went from not being okay to being okay. And like in a matter of a month, everything kind of Yeah, shifted. it almost felt like, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So, you know, But it was thanks to, I guess what I want to like clarify for people, it's not like, you know, you snapped your fingers and it was like yeah. magically all this happened, yeah. right? So you had this previous job working as a barista. The business yeah. had to shut down because of COVID. Yep. They finally decided to open up again when they felt yep. like it was safe to do so. So you got that back as a part-time gig. You'd, gra- you'd been already working as a freelance writer before you graduated. Yep. So you continued to apply for yep. jobs. You were continuing <laughs> yep. to do things. So then they just contacted you again saying, hey, do you want to write a story about this? Yep. Then you also got, and this is like, you know, as a mom, I'm excited <laughs> about, you got some modeling gigs. I did. And like acting, yes. kind of acting gigs yeah. that came as a result of your coffee shop. So everybody's yep. just like, eh, who wants to be a barista? Well, well, honestly, all of my freelance positions since I moved to Oregon have been through the coffee shop. And it's just people who came in. Yeah. Oh, you're new. Like, who are you? I'm yeah. so-and-so. And I've been there for four years now at mm-hmm. the coffee shop. And yeah, it got me a freelance writing job. It got me, oh boy, like three or four modeling gigs yeah. at this point. And while like modeling and the it's not really per se my passion or you know my end goal it's 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 experience and when I look back at it now it's like there are so many people who are in a position where I was back in March Mm -hmm. where you know no money concerned about whether or not you know we can buy groceries concerned if we could buy bloody toilet paper yeah Yeah, like (laughs) nowhere had toilet paper at that time yeah so you know it's it's and you know you got to Trust sort of in the process and, mm-hmm. you know, make a decision, make a call and just stick with it and hope it works out. Yeah. Um, that's all you can do. That's you can only do as much as is in your control, mm-hmm. um, which can be really hard when you don't have very many options. But, you know, when I th- when I thought about it back you know, a few months back, you know, it wouldn't have been the end of the world if I moved home. Oh, no, I have to come home to my family who loves me and supports me and is always <laughs> there for me. What a bummer. But, you know. <laughs> This is part of my ego, but wanting, I've been doing a lot of stuff by myself for a really long time. And it almost felt like I just graduated. I had such like opportunity to do all these things. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go do this. You know, my best friend and I were going to go to Europe for a month as part of my graduation. And it was like life slapped me in the face and said, nope, just kidding. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you for bearing with me on my, uh, well, my calls when I, you know, just cried all the time, but. That's the only thing that we can do is be there for each other. One of the things about this podcast um, that we want to encourage people to do is like find what works for them, like prioritizing their mental health. 
figuring out what health and wellness um, paths work for them because it's different for everybody. And so I know for me, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed to have such a close relationship with you. And I've listened on other podcasts, you know, to people talking about a generation like your generation, essentially being stuck in this kind of time warp, right, where they come out of school and they're like older than you. There are people mm-hmm. like in their late 20s and early 30s who've moved home during this pandemic because they've lost their job. They can't yep. pay their rent. Yep. It doesn't matter how many degrees they have. They can't get a leg up at this time and they have everything stacked against them. So it's not like your life is perfect right now. You know, you have your challenges yeah. like anybody else. But yep. I wanted to share how things went from feeling so desperate mm-hmm. during that time of the pandemic to you know, now it's like, you really are building upon Mm -hmm. the things you've worked towards these last four years. And you've always been fiercely independent, fiercely, fiercely independent. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And so one of the things, because you've had an additional challenge this last year, and I will leave it up to you how much detail you want to go into, but you've been, you've had a health challenge that's significant and which the pandemic, when that came out, my first thought actually was you because people with compromised immune systems are more at risk if they contract coronavirus. So I've just, you know, there's a period of like three months where I think I didn't actually really sleep uh, because Mm -hmm. I was just so worried and it coincided with the pandemic. So last January, February, March was when we found out Mm -hmm. and I, you know, lost my mind, as you know, and uh, I say that jokingly, not jokingly, then March, the pandemic happened and everything kind of had to shift. So Tell, just share with us what you're comfortable talking yeah. about and yeah. that being in the, and, and also steps that you've taken to address your own mental health mm-hmm. and wellness, like what you've needed to get through this, what you rely upon, what, what are the things that you do? I suspect riding your bike, you know, anyway, yeah. I'll let you, you talk about that. Yeah. I guess just a general, very general brief history of my health, allergies, mm-hmm. severe peanut nut allergy lactose intolerant, you know, the whole, whatever you can think of for a picky child, it's, it is what it is. Uh, we found out at the beginning of the year that it feels like it was like a whole other like lifetime, lifetime. ago. Jeez. It was less than a year ago. Less than a year ago. Feels... Oh no, it was a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but. Uh, I essentially was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease, which in short is PKD. It just feels weird saying that out loud. For a long time, it's been something we've kept pretty private mm-hmm. for reasons I'm sure you know people can imagine talking about health and and that is is hard for a lot of people um especially within the family when you don't know a lot of things and then of course the pandemic hit so in short when I was diagnosed with PKD I was immediately put on dialysis and high blood pressure uh I don't quite think I was on diuretics just yet but you know the whole went into like full-on healthcare mode and it was an intense, it was intense, uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. And it, it turned my whole life around. It went from being, you know, able to do everything to, again, life slapped me in the face and put me in a box. And, you know, I'm not going to speak for you, but it feels like, I don't know what I did. Like, what did I do wrong? Where have I, like, messed up in life? You know, I, I would like to think that I take pretty good care of myself. I've been mostly vegan for... Mm, the last three or four years, you know, I've always been a big, you know, veggie eater and whatnot. And then somehow my health turns around and fails on me more or less. And it sucked. And then 
yeah, it basically just went from you can do everything and you can have everything to your life is now limited to X, Y, and Z. That's what it feels like. It, that's not always the case. There's always um, ways around these things. And I am fortunately in a good spot where it could be so much worse. You know, I could be hospitalized right now. I could need a transplant today and, you know, not be able to get one because that is a problem. But now that we're in a pandemic, I am considered a high risk patient. Mm-hmm. And typically that just means I can't travel, you know, um, you know, we were planning a trip <laughs> to go to Hawaii and, you know, my doctors were like, that's not a good idea. You know, while we know that such and such airline is safe and da 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 da, it takes one person, you know, mm-hmm. you touch one thing that somebody else touched, someone accidentally breathes on you or doesn't have their mask on and, you know, I'm not going to die or anything, but you know, you're at greater risk. I'm at a greater risk than most people. And that's scary. I thought that, you know, having a peanut allergy and going into anaphylactic shock, you Mm -hmm. know, was kind of sort of it. And that, that was a lot for a kid. So now as an adult, it's weird. And then there is that, that feeling of, I don't know what to do. I kind of feel like a kid again, going into anaphylactic shock. It is a form of shock. I don't, and I don't know like Mm -hmm. what to do. And I'm like, do I call my mom? Do I not call my mom? You know, my doctor's like, don't panic. I don't know why they tell you don't panic. I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out now. Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, because the first thing you told me, and I hope you're okay with me Mm -hmm. sharing this, Mm -hmm. was because I didn't know what it was. Like, what is PK polycystic kidney disease? I'm assuming you have cysts growing on your kidneys. Yes. But what was cause for the alarm is because technically you've been in kidney failure. Yes. Since that diagnosis. Hence the, you need to get on dialysis. You need to be on medication. For the rest of your life until you get a transplant. And then you will still be on medication for the rest of your life to make sure you don't reject the kidney. And, (laughs) you know, there's the exciting thing is there's, you know, out of UC San Francisco, they're working on creating a like a bionic kidney, essentially. That's I'm like, I can't wait for that. They're starting trials already. So I feel like by the time you're a candidate, you know, you're on the list for a transplant. But like you're not prioritized at the moment because your health is thankfully somewhat stable. Yes. But your levels vary between, you know, moderate to severe (laughs) kidney failure. So that's the part, like, by just a few points, those are the things that keep me up sometimes because, you, like you said, you controlled as best you can. You've been vegetarian since you were 10 and, like, mostly vegan (laughs) for the last couple of years. And your doctors have told you you're already doing all of the things we would advise to patients. Like, Mm -hmm. normally, you, you know, you're 23, Oh, and old. when this happened, oh, you're right. It was two years ago. It was, two it was years right, ago. right after your 21st birthday. Yeah. Oh my God. It feels like 20 years. They were saying that normally this happens to people at least twice your age. Yep. Like polycystic kidney disease is not that uncommon, but it's mm-hmm. typically people in their late forties. So those people, they will tell them, okay, you need to lose weight. You need to get your blood pressure down. You need to go vegetarian or vegan. You were already doing those things. Mm-hmm. You're a skinny mini, like oh all God. of those <laughs> You know, all yeah. of those things you're already doing. So that's why the medical intervention was so kind of panic inducing and scary yeah. right away. Because yeah. you're like, you're already doing all the things you can do on your own yeah. to stay healthy. And this still happened. Yeah. And I hope you know now that there isn't anything you did wrong and that there's no, no way that you deserve this. This is likely uh, genetically passed from me to you. We also know that I have cysts on my kidneys, mm-hmm. but I have not been diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease so my doctor is keeping an eye on me too because I went to her right away and said hey we knew we had cysts on my kidneys what does this mean I sort of felt like I had been undiagnosed and Mm -hmm. therefore passed it to you yeah 
but anyways they're just we're not focusing on me but <laughs> I feel like that probably came from me your dad doesn't have that history and genetics are a funny thing it could have also skipped a generation you know on my father's side of the family and my mom's too for that matter there's everybody has a history of illness mm-hmm. and a lot of people have passed away young my mm-hmm. own parents included mm-hmm. so there could be things we don't know about you know in our family tree and lineage that have helped contribute towards this too but I want to shift now to what you're doing with how you're staying on top of things because you are I know you have your moments you know mm-hmm. you call mm-hmm. your mom and, and the people you love in your life when you need support but what else are you doing to stay on top of your mental health and keep upbeat and you know what do you do to stay positive oh boy that's it's funny you ask that now like even when I got diagnosed I didn't I felt bad for myself yeah in a way and you're allowed to I'm over that hump at this point (laughs) you know I was telling you this I was telling my doctor this telling my dad this but you know the worst I think I've ever felt in my entire life was when I was on dialysis mentally physically emotionally you know it was just felt at a severe disadvantage was it painful like to be on Um, dialysis is it painful it's awkward (laughs) so can you do you feel like you can explain what dialysis is to people essentially it's a flush of the kidneys Mm -hmm. um or flush of an organ i guess i suppose you could do dialysis on other organs but kidneys specifically and essentially a tube is inserted Mm -hmm. um into your abdomen abdomen region Mm -hmm. depending on which kidney it is even though yes your kidneys are more like at your back it does go in in the abdominal area so yeah that's what it does and you're pretty much there for a few hours severe case severe cases of um kidney failure or like renal renal kidney failure you're usually at dialysis weekly i was only there monthly Mm -hmm. the problem with it's not a problem it's just uncomfortable it's weird to have, I get, you know, anybody who's ever had a needle or a surgery or I feel like even if you gave birth, mm-hmm. <laughs> like sometimes it's not exactly painful, but it's like really uncomfortable. If you're a woman and you have a period, it's like having severe cramps. Oh, well, that's painful. Which can be painful. Yeah. Um, it's like pressure. Yeah. Like us, like a lot of pressure. it's like flushing It's flushing in, yeah. right? And forcing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's forcing, forcing fluid in and out of your body which so essentially doing the work for the kidney that yes. the kidney can't do itself yes. okay yes which is weird because everything else in my body is mostly okay we're not gonna talk about my joints here but <laughs> or any broken bones but for the most part you know i'm aware that my heart works okay and i'm aware that my lungs mm-hmm. do are doing their job but it's weird when i'm suddenly very aware that my kidney doesn't work because up until two years ago or a little over a year and a half ago you know, yeah. I wasn't aware that my kidney wasn't working. And, yeah. you know, there was small signs. Actually, that's what I wanted to go to into before we start to wrap up a little bit. But this came about after about a year of really strange symptoms. And you started yeah. having, you know, you were a junior or sophomore. What I remember as being the first symptom was severely chapped lips. Yep. But I don't know if anything else happened. If you could just share with people some of the things, because... Kidney disease, any kind of kidney disease, not just PKD, is often called the silent um, killer because mm-hmm. you will literally go without symptoms or without any major symptoms mm-hmm. until something is really 
wrong and you're in renal failure. And that's what ended up happening with her. So there weren't signs as she was growing up about this. You know, she had regular, I mean, you went to the doctor a lot because of your allergies. (laughs) So yes, you know, we were best friends with our doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Her levels and, and, and things that they measure like with blood pressure um, all the indicators, there was nothing there indicating yeah. this was wrong. So to me, the first symptom I remember was severely chapped lips. Yeah. But yeah, it how, was. How did it lead? How did that process of the diagnosis go? It took a long time. It took a long time. A really long time. I feel like we're kind of still diagnosing or like where we are and where we can go from here. From here. But yeah. Yeah, it started off with chapped lips. And I have eczema, like really yeah. awful eczema. So I'm very used to being irritated uh, physically irritated <laughs> I'm always irritated <laughs> but I'm very used to being irritated and it was just like okay well chapstick we'll call it a day and then it was okay that's not working Vaseline okay we'll call it a day. and I mean I tried everything and they called you and you called people you knew about stuff like this and she's, she's got eczema but like her eczema's not acting up and my eczema acts up you know whenever it decides it wants to and I remember going into the doctor and I saw just a regular doctor in Oregon. She was like, well, you know, it kind of looks like it's just the weather and it's getting cold. And I was like, okay, like it makes sense. But I think that was in like October. Mm-hmm. And then like February rolled around and I was like, I could still bothering me. And like, it, it, like, it hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten any better. And it was to the point where now it's left scars on yeah. my mouth. And well, I remember seeing you on FaceTime yeah. and saying what was happening with your mouth yep. because they were so swollen. Yep. It was almost comical, but you could, t- you know, in a movie... I still don't think that movie is funny with Will Smith. Is it Hitch? Where he has an anaphylactic oh my gosh, reaction. Yes. I know. You and it's only because things. we've experienced yes. you going through anaphylaxis and it's not funny. But anyway, so that was a sign to me that something really big was happening because yep. your lips were so painfully swollen. Yeah. So, But that was the first sign. And the long story short, after some, some t- a lot of tests, a lot of tests, like I just went into my doctor and I was like, I need you to like seriously fucking take a look at me because. I've had issues in my life, but we figured it out with a few visits and antibiotics. I've been on antibiotics. You've given me every cream you can think of. Yeah, you threw away all your lip balm. Yeah, I did. Creams, yeah. Like, started over. Yeah. We thought it was bacterial. Yep. Or, yep. Yeah. And, you know. It was once like, they started doing the blood work, what, right? Blood work. And then they're like, oh, that's a little weird. Oh, this is a little weird. You know, you've got some abnormal cells, you know, here and there. Let's take a look. And then when I started seeing uh, my current... Uh, practitioner uh, she was like have you ever seen a kidney specialist and I was like no nope. she goes you have a history of kidney failure or kidney problems in your family and I was like my mom's got you know cysts on her kidneys but as far as I know that's the extent of it mm-hmm. she sends me to uh, a, a specialist up in Portland nephrologist. the nephrologist and he was like well this is what this is this is what you know mm-hmm. and pretty much since then it's been yeah a diagnosis of where we are and where we're going anyway so <laughs> but that's it that's yeah. kind of how it started so check up on these things yeah took yeah. over a year to diagnose yep and then now it's been a few years or yep. a year to a year and a half I guess yep. to deal with it yep and so just quickly tell us what are some of the things you do in your life to help you maintain some calm some sense of control you know when things aren't always in your control couple of things that I like to do as well when I have my bike. Yes. <laughs> so that's really exciting. I have really great uh, friends, family, a partner who are always supportive. So I can always just lean on any of them really for mm-hmm. when I'm having a bad day. 
And a bad day can be just, I'm stressed out at work. I'm just stressed out because of my health. I'm stressed out because the world is falling apart (laughs) and it's okay. And some other things that I'm big on is, you know, exercising. You know, I'm a pretty big greens eater. If it's green, I'm probably going to eat it. So that's just, and my health and trying to be well and eat well and do physical activity is not a new thing Mm -hmm. because I'm, I've been diagnosed with it, but it's always just been something I've enjoyed. So that's kind of something I do. Right. (laughs) Kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm a freelance writer, so it's not serious, but it's Mm -hmm. another outlet. Do you get rest? I feel like that might be your, your nemesis. You might not rest. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been like that since you were born. Yeah. So I'm I'm not a sleeper. I I complain about it, but I like to keep busy. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, especially when I'm not at my best, if I have something I can show for it or show for something, then Mm -hmm. it feels okay. You know, you know, I work three jobs, four jobs. I'm productive. Mm -hmm. I do the most. It's, you know, if someone ever is like, Hey, like I heard you got, you know, PKD, how does that affect your life? It doesn't. I don't want that to be the, the sole reason why I can or can't do something. Mm-hmm. It's part of my life. I live with it. It is what it is. Yeah. It's so, part of your self care. I'm yeah. thinking of like, you know, drinking more water, yep. a little less coffee, <laughs> a little less sips. My fourth coffee of the day. <laughs> it's eleven a.m. By the way, yes. Yeah. No, I feel like you're doing, as your doctor said, you're doing already all the things. Yeah. We would advise someone to do so, but I have noticed you drink. I know you've always drank a lot of water, but yeah, I just want to thank you. Yeah, thank you all <laughs> for agreeing to do this yeah. and for agreeing to talk about all of these. Mm-hmm. things you know we're literally motoring into 2021 with you and I'm so grateful that you're my daughter and my best friend <laughs> and just so grateful that you're able to make it here FYI she did not come down from Morgan on a train plane or, Bus a, or a boat no she rented a, a sanitized car and drove yep. over those hills um to get here so she'd have the least possible chance of exposure and infection um it's not just for me it's for you guys yeah but your your health is of primary importance so for all those of you out there we are still gonna get through 2021 um through this pandemic through all the ups and downs and i hope sandel's story um you know personally of course um i hope that it helps you if you know of somebody who's struggling who's gone through a rough time in these last few months of being unemployed or being diagnosed with um, something that's, you know, irrevocably changed the course of, of their life. I'm hoping Sendell's story might resonate with them. Um, feel free to connect with her. I'll put um, contact information on social media and uh, where her articles can be found so that you can learn more about the experience she's, she's had with writing and with writing. And that is all for now, folks. So remember Maya and My Yoga Audio It's always a good time for your mind to be on the mat and we will see you next time.